Well, you guys can grab a seat. You guys are in for a really great treat because this man right here, Mike Gordon, has been just, yeah, that's right. He is worthy of woohoo. Um, well, that was nice of you. Thank you. <laughs> that, you got one fan out there. Yeah. Um, Mike has been a heavy influence in my life in a very good way for very, very many years. And I'm very appreciative of all that he's done. And I'm not going to get emotional, but I'm excited for him to preach the word for you guys today. So I'm just going to pray. God, thank you so much for Mike. Thank you for Robin. Thank you for what they've meant to this community. Thank you for what they've meant to my personal life. God, I love his passion and his desire for the word and his relentless um, submission to you. God, I pray that you would give him the ability to just speak in a way that his flesh and everything he says is, is, is non-existent and all we experience is your spirit, God. I pray, God, that every single person here would be challenged by your word, not in a way that would cause them to question you, but instead would cause them to draw nearer to you, God. I praise you for this word. I praise you for your living and active word that Mike so faithfully serves. And I just look forward to seeing what you do in and, in and through the hearts of everyone here for the glory of Jesus alone. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Well, hey, it's a pleasure for Robin and I to be back with you. Um, this is the first time that we've been in the new facility. Pretty nice. Yeah. And, and we were talking about the fact that one of the best things about being in the facility is you don't have to take down chairs. And it's awesome. Um, so that's a great thing. So congratulations on being here. We were part of it. We, like I said, we were part of the whole get in this direction. Uh, so it's good to be here with you. Um, we have relocated to Salt Lake and I worked down there. And a couple of weeks ago, it's probably about seven weeks ago now, I was a friend and a coworker probably more of a coworker than just a friend. And um, he's a really smart guy. He's in his early 30s. He's got his uh, master's degree in some, something that I can't even pronounce. And he's just a smart guy. And uh, we were meeting to discuss a project that we were both assigned to work on and complete together. And so we met at Starbucks and we were discussing it. And throughout the conversation, um, he, had, he knew that I was a believer. He knew that um, because of some of the things that the other guys had shared with him and uh, and, the, and the fact that I used to be in ministry, it, it's always, I'm an, I'm an anomaly, and people always, you know, want to talk. And he said, he said I'm an agnostic. Um, and I said, well, what do you mean by that? And we began to discuss, and I said, do, do you want to talk about this? And he said, that's why I brought it up. I want to talk about it. He said, I love this kind of conversation. So for the next, oh, probably hour and a half, we sat at Starbucks, and I refilled my cup at least twice uh, during this conversation. So I was really jacked on caffeine, by the way. Um, but... We discuss the clues for the existence of God, and, um, and that's the word I use, clues, because I don't think there's necessarily solid 100% proof. If there was, everybody, you know, you, know, you know what I'm saying, but there's clues that are out there. And so when we were done, he, he said, yeah, I, I really think there is more proof for God than proof for the non-existence of God. And I said, so where does that lead you? And he goes, well, I'm still an agnostic. And I, I said, yeah, okay. And, then, and for somehow, and it always happens this way, usually 90% of the time when you're talking about spiritual things, it gets around to where, where are you, you going to be after you die? And he said this, and um, he said this, I am not sure if there's a heaven, but if there is, I'm sure I'm going. And I thought to myself, that is the statement of the American culture. The pe- pe- if you go and ask any of your friends, any of your family, do you believe in heaven? They go, yeah, yeah but I mean, if they do or don't, truthfully, it's because just like him, he's an agnostic. Um, are you going to go to heaven? I will venture to say that 
if not more, maybe 99% of the people will say, yeah, they say, oh, I'm not perfect, right? But I know I'm going to heaven. And if you ask them, why are you going to heaven? What's the response? Because I am good. That's exactly right. I'm a good person. And, and, and we begin, and I go, oh, yeah. And so what people do is they, they saw this. They, and they always, they determine their goodness by what they do or they don't do, right? You got all these people and they go, I'm a good person because um, this, is, this is the number one go-to. I've never killed anybody, all right? Now, that really lowers the standard, right? I mean, so, so um, but I've never killed anybody. And, um, or they say, like, I, I obey the golden rule. I obey the Ten Commandments. If someone ever says to you they obey the Ten Commandments, ask them, do you even know where the Ten Commandments are? And can you quote them? Because the people that say they believe the Ten Commandments, and that's why they're going to heaven, most of them can't give you all ten. They got one or two, and they figured that's good enough, right? So they've got this standard. I didn't commit adultery. I haven't committed a murder. Um, I don't do illegal drugs, you know? And, and we begin to lay that out. I, I'm nice to people. I, like I said, I obey the golden rule. I do unto others as I have. The, and these are the things that we use in our society to be able to say and understand and think, and people really do think that they are going to heaven because they're good enough, right? And, and this is a Western society kind of thing, that we're good enough. And I, I tried to figure out where this comes from, and I think it comes from religion, right? Religion tells us that we got to be good, right? All religions pretty much point us to the fact we should just be good people, and good people go to heaven. I mean, after all, if there's a good God who has a good place, then he wants to fill it up with good people like all of us in America. We're all good people. And have you, the other thing I noticed is that the standard of goodness is very relative. It's relative to who the individual is, right? So it's like, if it's a good person, well, you know, I do all these things. But for instance, I'm good because um, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm good because I haven't committed adultery. Or if they did commit adultery, it was like, well, I did, but you don't understand the circumstances, and now it's different because I'm remarried now and everything's great. Or uh, the person says, I, I'm good because I don't do illegal drugs. But if the person was doing illegal drugs, they say, well, I'm good um, because, because I, at least I'm not, I'm not doing heroin, you know? And even if the guy was doing heroin, he might say, well, you know, at least I'm not a drug dealer, right? Everything's so relative. It's very convenient in our society that how good you have to be to get to heaven is get as good as you are. That's it, as good as you are. And we actually believe this. We do. We're hanging our eternity pretty much as a country. And once again, I think it's a Western society thing, but pretty much as a country, we're hanging on the fact that you get to heaven because you are as good as you are. Now, you know you're not perfect. We all know we're not perfect, but we're good enough. And the way we know that is because we look at other people and we go, at least we're not like them, right? Now, if your standard is murder for getting in heaven, then once again, all of us are getting in. But if the standard changes a little bit, but we all know that we're good enough. We got that confidence. Like my friend said, I'm not even sure if there is a heaven, but if there is a heaven, I am sure I'm going. So, and I'm like, wow, that's kind of crazy, right? And, but we think that way, and we're willing to hang our eternity, and whether or not we're going to go to heaven, if there is a heaven, on that fact that we're just good enough. 
You know, we've got this idea that God kind of judges us according to other people, that God grades on a curve, right? Have you ever been in a class, anybody been in a class where the teacher graded on, graded on a curve? Yeah, a few of you have. I don't know. I've never been in that. It might be a good thing if you're in the class. But anyway, the way it works is this, is that the teacher gives a test, and the test is usually, if they grade on the curve, it's usually because the test is really hard, okay? They give this test, and then you, everybody takes the test, and the guy or the girl who's really smart, really diligent, studies all night long, they get like a C plus on the test. And then people like me, we come in like at a 50 and then there's a guy that's really the slacker, and he just maybe got his name right on the paper or something like that. You know, and, and so he comes in, and, they, they, and the teacher takes a test, and then what he does is he grades it, and he takes the person who was really diligent and the really smart guy in the class who got that C+, and moves them to an A+, and then changes all the standards down below, right? And so the, the people that got 50, they got moved up to 80. The people that got, well, if you, you just got a 12, you know, you still didn't make it, but um, but there was this concept of this curve. And we really act like somehow God's going to grade a curve, like God is going to judge us based upon other people, that, are, that he's going to look at other people and go, like there's going to be a day when we come into judgment and God's going to look and he's going to say like this. He goes, well, you know, here's the deal. Um, I had this standard, but it was kind of tough. It was a tough standard. So I'm going to throw that out the door. And I'm just going to like, you know, we'll grade on the curve, okay? And so people like, you know, and this is, these people ruin the curve. Mother Teresa, right? <laughs> Billy Graham, they're ruining the curve. But then you got, and then, you, and you know, you know that they are definitely going to heaven, right? They are really good people. They're probably going to get the good houses and the good mansions. They're going to get all the good stuff. And then the rest of us will fall in there somewhere. And you know, like people like Hitler and Charles Manson, they're, they're not getting in, right? And so you're thinking if I fall in between, somewhere in there, maybe on the higher end, I'm good to go. Well, people have not really thought this through, right? I mean, as a society, we haven't thought this through. People say, well, you know, God requires that we be righteous, and God is holy, and, the, and, and he says to be in his presence, we must be holy. And I've heard people say, well, that's the Old Testament, you know? That's the Old Testament, but then Jesus came, Right? And everything changed. It was all about love, right? We got to love each other. We got to do the right thing. We love each other and we care for each other. We, we do the loving thing. And after that, you know, we're just being good and doing the loving thing. And, and Jesus loves us and he doesn't want us to spend eternity separated from God. And so with Jesus' love and we're good and everything's all good and we're just going to give everybody a big warm hug and we're going to feel good about this. The problem is that once again, this hasn't been thought through, nor has anybody done any research on what Jesus said about how it is that we get into heaven. So Jesus, on his sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, his most famous sermon, he's preaching this sermon, and basically what he does is he starts taking all of those things that people think that they can be good enough to do. He says, hey, you've heard that you should not murder. And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we haven't murdered anybody. He said, I'll tell you this. If you're angry at your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. And they went, What? He says, you've heard you should not commit adultery. You know, once he's ticking off the big ones, right? He says, you've heard you should not commit adultery. And they go, yeah, I haven't committed adultery. He says, but if you look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery. And they're like, holy smokes. This is, it's no longer the Ten Commandments. It's bigger than the Ten Commandments. And then, and then he gets around and he comes to about midway through the me his message. 
And he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says this. He said, if you, wanted to get in, if you want to get a right relationship with God and get to heaven by being good, your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, right there, you and I hear that, and we just go, whatever, we read right by that. But people in the crowd, they were like, oh, that that's, stinks. Because the scribes and Pharisees, especially the Pharisees, they were men who their entire profession was to obey the law. In fact, they made other laws to make sure that they obeyed the law of God. They had all these laws, and they obeyed them. And everybody saw those guys, and they were like, well, those are the best people in the whole country. They are so righteous and so holy. They, they obey all the laws. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses them, unless your goodness is gooder than them, then you're not getting into the kingdom of God. And then in Matthew, he goes on and preaches a little bit more. And then in Matthew, the same sermon in verse 48, he says this. He says, you must be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. Holy smokes. How's that even possible? It's not. And so he sets this standard that, that for us to have a right relationship with God and for us to get into heaven, we have to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. Now, that does not jive with what the majority of Western society thinks. And yet we're willing to overlook the words of Jesus, who we would say that pretty much is like, I, I was talking to this girl one time at the University of Florida, and she said, I really, really love Jesus. I just don't like the Bible. And I said, well, what do you, what do you love about Jesus? And she goes, she starts talking, and she's talking about Jesus. And I'm like, who is this Jesus? I don't even recognize him. He's turned. He's like a flower child, you know? I mean, he's just peace and love and happiness. And, and, uh, and I was like, wow, she doesn't, she, her idea is, is I can take Jesus and make him say and do whatever I want and just believe that and everything's okay. It's all kumbaya. The fact is, is that God sets a standard for us. And that standard is pretty strict. And so even as Jesus said, Unless your righteousness surpasses the best people that walked on this earth, you won't get into the kingdom of heaven. Take your Bibles with me and turn to Romans chapter 3. We'll try to put this in some context here. So in Romans chapter 3, we'll start in verse 9. And Paul's writing this. Now, the reason it's important that, yeah, there's Bibles going around. <laughs> so first service, I said, take your Bible and turn. And I looked up and there were all these people raising their hands. And I thought they were asking me a question. And I was like, I forgot that we did that. And I'm like, oh, no. I don't know if they, they do that here. You know, do they take questions? Yes, can I help you? But anyway, so, so I hope they don't ask anything I don't know, which would be a lot. So anyway, um, here we go. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. Apostle Paul's writing this. The reason I bring it up, the fact that it's Apostle Paul, is because remember back when Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, the Apostle Paul, before he was a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In fact, his dad was a Pharisee. Most likely his grandfather was a Pharisee. There was like, he was just in a line of Pharisees. These were, he was in a line of really good people. And he writes this. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have an advantage? Now, let's stop right there. Who's the we? The we is the Jewish people who have had the written law of God. In chapter 2 of Romans, and then further, in the beginning part of chapter 3, what Paul is doing is he's, he's discussed the fact that, that the Jewish people are a fortunate people because they have the written law of God. 
and they have that written law of God, and therefore they understand what the parameters and what the boundaries are that God has given them for, in a sense, for his love to reach them and bless them. And then he also has said that, that the people who are not of the Jewish descent, those Gentiles, he said that God has given all of us, he's written in our hearts a law, a standard by which we know that we should live by and what it is that God requires of us. And so he's laid this out, and then he's kind of said, you know, he's kind of talked about the law and all that stuff. And then he comes and he says, once again, do we have any advantage? He says, not at all. We have um, already made a charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. He's saying, look, you guys have, the Jews have the law, and you broke it. You have the written law, and you broke it. Um, those people who weren't Jews have the law written in their heart, and they broke it. They know, that what they, they know their lives aren't perfect. You're broken the law. And then what he does is he goes on to make his point to make sure that we understand that we are people that are not good people, but in fact that we're, we're not good. We're actually all bad. He takes a bunch of passages from the Old Testament and brings them all together here. And he says this in chapter 10. No, verse 10, sorry. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He's saying, look, the truth is we're not all good. We are incredibly rotten. That's what he says. And he goes on from here. In verse 19, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. So he says, we've got the law. You got it. You know what it says. All right? And there are those people who don't have the written law but have the law in their hearts, and they know down deep in their hearts, they know what the law is, and they know what it is that their creator requires of them. He says, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable before God. He said, let's face the facts. If you really give it some thought, you know. Sure, you've done some good things, but you know you're not that good. In fact, he's saying you're really not good. In fact, the standard of the law shows you that you're not good. And then he goes this. He says, therefore, in verse 20, therefore, no one, no one, let me define that for you, no one, not one person, okay? Nobody, not a, not one human person, not, yeah, not one person walking or has ever walked this face of the earth. It says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous, will be declared right in the sight of God by observing the law. He says, no one, get it, no one, not one of us will be, a, will be declared right to be in God's presence by being good. Now, if Romans stopped there at verse 20 of chapter 3, it would be a bad thing. But it doesn't. Look at verse 21. But now, apart from the law, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. 
to which the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. He said, look, there's a righteousness that you can, you can now be right with God. You can be right, and it's given to us now, it's, and it comes to us through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. For those of us who believe, there is now no, there is now no difference between, am I right? Yeah, pro, okay, wrong verse, sorry. Um, he says, but now, apart from the righteousness of God, which has been made known, the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is now no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know this, right? He's already told us we're all sinners. And he goes and he's just repeating it again. And are all justified freely. Justified. Justified means that you are made right. We are made right freely. It's a free gift. It's not something you work for. It's freely given to us through the grace, for, we, for by its grace through the redemption that came in Christ Jesus. He's saying, look, you'll never be good enough. But through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be justified. You can be made right. How does that work? How does that work? And it's really simple. It's this. And this is the good news. This is the good stuff of the gospel. It's this, is that you and I are not good. You can work and try to be as good as you want. You could never measure up to God's standard because Jesus laid it right on the line. The Father had throughout the Old Testament, I am holy, be holy, even as I am holy. Jesus comes and said, unless you are perfect, like your heavenly Father and perfect, there is no way you're getting into heaven. But the good news of the gospel is this, is that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life. He lived an A-plus life. And then he died on the cross, an F minus death, and then rose again from the grave and turns to us and says that if we would believe in him, if we would trust in him, believing in what he did and who he said he was, and place our trust and faith in him, and make him our Lord, give him control of our lives, that he would give us his righteousness. What happens is the father looks at Jesus, and through faith in him, he takes the very righteousness of Christ and he places it upon us. He takes the A-plus life of Jesus and his, and his perfection and places it upon us and takes our F-plus and throws it into the sea of forgetfulness, it says, and he remembers it no more. We now stand through our faith and trust in Christ, not in a righteousness in an A-plus or a B-minus or a C-minus, or I just hope I make it standard of our own because we're good. No, we stand in the goodness, the perfection, and the righteousness of Christ so that when the Father sees us, he sees his son, and he loves his son, and he loves us, and his son loves us so much that he would do that for us, that he would be willing to live perfectly in obedience to his father, and then sacrificially lay down his life so that you and I, through faith in him, could have the gift of eternal life, which is life in heaven. And that's very, very cool. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And let's go to verse 7. I want you to see this again. Here again, Paul's writing. He says this, For whatever, for whatever were gains to me, 
So whatever was to my gain. Remember, he was a scribe. He was a Pharisee, right? He was, he was the, one of the best guys in all of the country. He said, whatever was gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worthness, worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's saying, look, I've made him my Lord. I believed in him. I've trusted in him. I'm a follower of Jesus. For whose sake I have lost all things. And you, if you read the story of Paul, he lost a lot of stuff. He took a lot of abuse for the, for the sake of Christ. He said, I've lost all things. Not having a, this is it, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I, he says, I don't have a righteousness because I was good. It never comes that way. All the law does, get this, all the law does is point to the fact that we're not good. The law is given to us not so we can obey it, but to show us we can't obey it and we need another way into, to have a relationship with God. Get this, if um, we had traffic laws in this country, right? We're supposed to, we're, right? We're, yeah, we have them, right? So um, I'm presently live in Salt Lake and the speed limit's 70 through town. And if you drive 80, you're going to get run over, okay? It's just crazy. And it's, and it's crazy traffic, by the way. Come back here. It seems like such a gentler, quieter place. But, um, so, but, but let's say you go out there and the traffic laws are out there. Now, here's the deal. Let's say that you have never made an illegal turn. You've never run a stoplight, okay? But I'm going to bet you... you probably sped a little bit. I don't know if that's a real word. Speed, sped. Um, you've not obeyed the speed limit. So, but you only made it like three times, right? You were in a hurry, whatever. I want to tell you right now, you're a lawbreaker. You broke the law. See, the law comes and is given to us not to show us how to be good, but to show us that we can't be good. And that's what Paul's saying here. I don't have a righteousness that comes through my, through my own works, but it comes through Christ that I consider everything to be lost, he says. I consider them garbage, garbage, garbage. When I was a youth pastor, the way that we described this was um, dog poop on a plate. And he considers it garbage, junk that he, that's what he's saying, that's what your good works are worth. Nothing. It says that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So if you're here this morning and you're somebody who thinks in their head, in their heart, you know, I can be good enough. The bad news is you can't. The good news is Jesus was. And if you've not placed your trust and faith in Christ, then I would say to do it today. Today is a day. Get right with God. If you, don't, if you need some help and you want to talk about it a little bit more, there are tons of people on staff here that would be glad to. I'd be glad to talk to you about it. But my, my just exhortation and encouragement to you is this. Don't leave here just thinking I can be good enough. If you learn anything, you can't. Jesus was on your behalf and offers you the gift of an A-plus life and a good standing with God through faith and trust in him. Now, if you're sitting here and you're a believer and I said this is the first service, oh, I, I, I could have told you all of that. It's always good to hear the gospel again, isn't it? It's good to be reminded 
It's good to be reminded of how much God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. This is it. This is what changes our lives. This is what makes us children of God. You know, and, and I think that there are people that sit in, in every church, and I'm one of the per- people that I do this sometimes, and it, I'm, I'm just laying it all out there. As I, do, I look around, and I, I, I see other people, and I go, well, at least I'm better than him. You know, and I'm definitely better than her. You know, we do better than him, 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 him. Okay, we'll skip that guy because he might be better than me. But anyway, uh, but, you know, we do that. And we somehow think that we're getting, that God is pleased with us because we're, quote, unquote, no. That, that doesn't get us, I mean, that doesn't get us any more standing with God. You're, that, that good stuff, you'll never be good enough. Just rest in Jesus, okay? And then there, if there are people like me who sit in the room and say, oh, I'm better, 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 and once again, I'm sorry for that, but that's kind of the way I roll sometimes, and it's not good, it's sinful, and good thing I have Jesus, right? Um, but, there's a, but there are probably people in this room that probably go, well, I'm not, I'm not near as good as them or him or her or whatever. You know what? You may not be. The beautiful thing about the gospel is Jesus loves you gave his life for you. And through your faith and trust in him, he takes all of that crud and throws your F plus life into the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers it no more and sees you in the perfection and the beauty and the righteousness of Jesus. And that's really good news. Now, I'm not saying that personal righteousness is not important. I really believe that if you're a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ and you say you love him, you will seek to live in obedience to him and you will seek to make your life reflect the very character of Jesus as the spirit of God leads you and directs you and empowers you. But the truth is, that's what you do because you belong to him. That's what you do because you're a citizen of heaven. That's not what you do to get there. The good news of the gospel is you ain't good enough, but Jesus is. Jesus is. That is amazing news. That's super fantastic stuff. So don't ever let your friends and family believe the lie that's straight out of the pit of hell and smells like smoke, that we are, could be good enough to somehow merit God's favor. It really is a lie. And we as Americans across the board believe that. And God has called us to share from the hearts truth of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. For it's the gospel that sets us free. It's the truth of Jesus and what he has done for us that allows us to live life without fear. It, it allows, actually allows us to live life with courage. And so I pray for those who are here and, who, and those who may know people that are, have believed that lie, that we could be good enough. And the truth is we can't, but we thank you that Jesus was on our behalf. We thank you too that by your spirit and by your power, you worked and those of us who are followers of Christ to the point where we have come to understand that and believe that and trust in him. And we thank you for the new life that you have given us. And we pray that we would be bold enough to share the truth with our friends who believe the lie. And we would pray that you would use 
our words to touch their hearts, to be opened up to the gospel. We pray that, that there would be people in our lives in the next weeks and months who would come to a place that they understand the truth and the reality of Jesus and the gospel that he offers. And we'd be able to rejoice in watching them move from the lie to the truth of following Jesus. Thanks again for this day and the opportunity to worship you. And thanks for your word, because in your word, we find truth. We find Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, it is one of the, my least favorite things this side of the kingdom of God is having to say goodbye to friends and family. And Mike and his lovely wife, who is not up here. Not up here. <laughs> she was here for a service, so she's here somewhere. Robin have been an intricate part of this church. They were a couple that joined us at the very beginning of planting this church, and he has just, a lot of the things that are just really going well and that the Lord has blessed to this small C church are kind of fingerprints of what Mike and Robin have done. They've been vital to us existing and doing what we believe, surrendered to God's word. He's been an absolute amazing resource to us, and we are sad because as an elder here, he and his wife, like he said in the sermon, have moved to Salt Lake. Work has taken them there. So about a year and a half ago, he said, hey, I need to go on sabbatical. Would you guys give me a sabbatical? Because my work is moving so much, I can't do the, the, the role of elder well. And so he said, can I go on that? And we said, yes. And we were praying that he'd find work here. He didn't. He found work in Salt Lake, had training, got their, old, their younger daughter married off. And so now he's back here. And so we wanted to invite you guys to join us as we pray to send them off. They are still, he's still an elder. They are still, he's still qualified. We're praying that God would use him in this area and this, this gifting in Salt Lake. And if, he, if the Lord would ever bring him back here, we'd love to have him be a sucker on this team again. That'd be awesome. So we're going to pray for him. If you guys would just join us, if that's okay. So you can stand, raise your hand, you can sit, whatever. Father, we thank you for the time that we have had with Mike and Robin over the last several years. We thank you for their faithfulness and uh, the way that you have led them, the way that you have um, spoken into Mike to lead this congregation in this body. And uh, we send them off with sadness and with joy. We know that, um, that everything works for the good of your plan, and uh, we pray that for them. We pray that no matter what comes, trials, tribulations, great times, that they would be secure in you. We pray for the people's lives who they are yet to touch, that you would prepare the way, that you would prepare... Uh, Mike and Robin's hearts, and that you would prepare their hearts. And we pray that, um, that they remember they will always have a home here, and that we would always, always welcome them back. And um, if it's not too much to ask, we pray that that might happen one day. <laughs> that, um, that we know you have great things out there, but uh, selfishly, we ask one day, maybe we would get them back here. But no matter what, Father, we ask for your will to be done. We ask for a hastening of your weekend, of your, your kingdom, for, um, for the lost to be found, and that um, we each play the part you have for us in that. Pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.